I want to let the band know just how much uh, we appreciate them playing for us each week. Um, if you guys could just give them a hand, and they'd, they'd appreciate that. They do an amazing job. Just very thankful for you guys and what you guys do every week, and you guys uh, do an amazing job. Uh, turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 17. That's where we're going to begin today. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. Or flip to your Bible app, whatever you have at your disposal. Chapter 17, verse 22. And um, we are in Proverbs. I want to reframe, as I do every week, just the, the book itself, because we, we try to reframe our discussion each week with this one verse at the very beginning of the, of the book, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. So read this with me as we do each week. Go to the next slide, Aisley, and we'll read this next verse. Chapter 1, verse 7. Okay, read this with me uh, as we read this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, we've covered a bunch of topics. We've, we've talked about anger. We've talked about pride. We've talked about uh, sexuality. We've discussed lots of different topics in Proverbs. But if you miss this one verse, you're going to miss the whole point of the book. We say each week that you've got to make sure you stay rooted in this idea that everything we talk about, whatever topic we talk about, has to be rooted back into this topic, which is the fear of God. And so if you, if you don't surrender your life to Christ, if you don't submit your life to Him out of reverence for who He is, because He is God, if you do not do that, then Proverbs will be meaningless to you. It, it can't just be like a, a life improvement manual, right? It can't be that for you. It's got to be, it's got to flow out of this, this fear of the Lord. That's where wisdom begins. So, um, so today uh, we're looking at the topic of emotions. Emotions. Now, I know that when I say that, all the guys are like, oh, great. And the girls are like, oh, great. Right? But there's a lot of myths surrounding emotion, right? Um, anybody here, just show of hands, uh, how many people believe in the room that, that men don't have emotion? Raise your hand. That men do not have emotion? Oh, only five of you, okay. All right, how many of you in the room think that women have way too much emotion? Raise your hand. Oh. So we're, we are severely out of balance here. Um, so, so only five people think that men don't have emotion and everyone else thinks women have way too much emotion. So we, we see where you guys stand. So there is this myth floating around in the cosmos that says women have emotions and men don't, right? That is the myth that surrounds all of us. Now, let me ask you this question. I think that's, that's a really funny myth because... Have you guys ever seen a, on TV, of course, a bench-clearing brawl at a basketball game? A bench-clearing fight, all right? Like, guys just going at it on the basketball court, like there's a fight that breaks out. Is, is there emotion behind that? I'm just wondering, is there emotion behind that? Okay, so, so we can agree that men have emotion, correct? We can agree that men have emotion, it just comes out in different ways. So for, so, for example, listen, listen. For women, they've got to, if a woman has a bad day, she, she shops. For a guy, he puts his fist through the wall, all right? So it just comes out in different ways, but we still have emotion just the same. Now, 
what I want you to get, this my first point, go ahead and, and I'll have three main points. Today's like going to be like a three-point sermon, all right? So the first point for today is this, emotions are important. Now, you might think that's, that's like the dumbest thing you've ever said, Dave. That's like the really simple statement there. Um, but I want you to understand what I mean by this because I really think that the, most of us in the church, especially, especially the guys, we tend to downplay emotion. We tend to look at it and think, yeah, that's for, that's for sissy girly men, right? And we tend to look at it as like it's not important. Um, it's not really an issue. Uh, why even talk about it? Why even bother with it? But I want to let you know that um, emotion is important. The Bible talks a lot about emotion. We see in Jesus that he had emotion. This is the week of, we call it the Passion Week, where Jesus suffered. I mean, this is the week where he spent time in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was in such emotional turmoil about his pending death that he sweat, he sweat drops of blood. That's emotional. That's emotional. We also see in the Gospels that Jesus was emotional when he came and turned over the money changers' tables at the temple gates. He was emotional. We see uh, when Lazarus, his friend, died, that Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus showed emotion. Now, if you're like most of us, when you imagine Jesus, don't you guys tend to imagine like sort of like a robot, like a really holy robot back then, right? Just never showed emotion, never showed any expression, um, never laughed. If Peter told a joke, he was just like, that wasn't funny, Peter, right? Like, don't, we, we tend to look at Jesus like this, right? Devoid of emotion, just doing his duty, doing, making sure he does the miracles and all that, and making sure he does all that stuff, but then never really connecting with people, never really emotionally engaging. I think it'd be so cool if we could go back and see what Jesus really was like in that environment and see how he really connected. Because I think he would probably be the most, he would be the most perfectly balanced emotional person that ever lived, right? I mean, he was sinless. He was sinless. So emotions are hugely important. And so look with me at, at chapter 17, verse 22. And it says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So what this verse is saying is that joy is not the same thing as happiness. I want to clarify here. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. For example, whoever won the Mega Millions this past weekend on the lottery deal, the, the, interna- the national lottery deal, they're happy. They're happy. I am happy that RG3 is going to be a redskin. I am happy about that. All right? But that's not the same thing. as It's not joy. It's not joy. Because here's the deal. Somebody can be, be, have, have horrible circumstances but still be joyful. Somebody can have great circumstances and not be happy, right? And so joy and happiness are, are not the same thing. In this verse, it says a joyful heart is good medicine. What it's saying is that somebody can have, somebody can even have a sickness. And if, they've, if, they, if they have joy, it's like the joy is kind of like medicine to the body. The joy is kind of like medicine for their, their soul, um, it's, studies have shown that there's, there's theories out there on this that if, if someone is sick but they have a good outlook on life or they're emotionally stable, that actually helps them in their physical sickness. The second half of this verse says, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. It's a very vivid image because if you've ever been in emotional turmoil, 
it literally feels like the life is being sapped out of you. It feels like there's just something being taken out of you, and you've got nothing left to give. You've got nothing. I would imagine that in this many people in the room, that um, many of you have, 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 have dealt with some form of depression of some kind, whether it's currently happening or in the past, or a family member has dealt with some form of depression. This is what this verse is talking about. If someone is depressed, it, it clouds everything. Everything in your life is clouded by, by this emotional exhaustion. And it leads to this, this feeling of just being sapped physically and emotionally and spiritually. And I, w- I would guess that in the room right now, there's probably many of you that, that feel this way right now. You feel like you can't put your finger on why, but you feel like you're in some kind of a depression. You feel like your emotions are just not what they're supposed to be. And you can't, you can't figure out why. You can't figure out what is the cause of, of where I'm at right now. I want you guys to go ahead and discuss uh, questions one through three at your tables. Go ahead and discuss. All right, let's discuss. Let's discuss some of this. I want to see a show of hands. How many of you have ever cried? And you have no idea why in that moment. Almost everyone. <laughs> like you're just, you're just like, I don't know, driving to school or something. There's not even any music on and you just start crying. And you're like, I don't even know why I'm crying. That's happened to you before, I'm, I'm guessing. Okay. All right. How about this one? Uh, um, this is for the guys. Uh, for the guys, how many of you guys, your favorite team, whether it's professional or college or what have, even even high school, the, high, the team you play for, like you win a game and you watch your team win a game and you shed a tear, you shed a tear. Any any of the guys want to admit that right now? No. Come on, Chris, be proud, man. Be proud. Be proud. All right. All right. The last game they play. All right, so, so we know, listen, listen, shh. So we know that men are emotional just in different ways because here's the really funny thing about men versus women. Men will often say things like, you know, I just don't get women. Like, they, what do they get out of shopping? Like, what do they really get out of that? And then guys go and scream at the television at their favorite player, right? There's no logic in that either, right? There's no logic there. So there's this idea, listen, listen, there's this idea that like men are about reason and logic and women are like about emotion and non-logic, right? Illogical. I just invented a word. Yes, I did. So there's this idea that we're, we're like this dichotomy. And what you see, I think, if you're honest about yourselves and honest about scripture is that everybody, listen, listen. Everybody is, is, has this part of themselves that you don't quite understand. You don't quite get. You're not quite sure what to do with, with this part of who you are. And so the next really profound point that I want you to know this morning is this, that emotions are complex. Emotions are very, very complex. 
And, and for the guys, and the, the guys tend to think, yeah, that's true of the women, but, not, but it's true for you as well. It's true for you as well as a guy. It's absolutely true for you. This is why it's hard to understand what, what's going on inside of your, your mind and your spirit because they're very complex. We can't oversimplify emotions. So look with me at, at, at chapter 12, verse 25. Chapter 12, verse 25. Turn back there. And we're going to look at three passages that show just how complex emotions really are. So uh, chapter 12, verse 25, it says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes, makes him glad. So what you see is this image of when, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're like in emotional turmoil in that place, you literally feel a weight, a physical weight on your chest. You've experienced this before, I'm sure. But your body literally feels heavy. Your, 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 your chest literally feels heavy when you're in a place like that because emotions are just very complex. In fact, anxiety can get so bad that it can really keep, it can keep you from functioning. Someone, somebody can lay in bed most of the day and, in their depression. They can be totally checked out from life because they're in this place that this verse describes. But look at what it says. It says but, but a good word makes him glad. Do you know how how crazy it is, this is how complex we are as people, how crazy is it that you can be having this awful day, you can be anxious and worried, have that weight on your chest, but then one conversation with one person can totally lift it. One conversation with one person can just totally make that go away. And we have no idea why that is, except for the fact that God made us relational beings. My wife is a counselor. And she counsels people, uh, like four, four or five clients a day, three days a week. And her job is this. Her job is to give people a good word, a good word of hope. Much of her job is pointing people to hope, and many of them to Christ. And, and it's amazing when someone just pours into you, when someone gives you a good word of encouragement, how much that can cause that anxiety to lift. And it's not just true of the good word that they give you. It's true of the good word that God gives you. It's true of his word, which is the original word. It's true of his word. What's amazing about God is that God literally, he speaks worlds into existence. He utters a word and it appears. Realities come about because he speaks. And so when when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're downtrodden, if you go to his word, it's amazing what new realities he creates in your soul and in your spirit as a result of his word, his life-giving word. I want you to look down with me at, at chapter 14, verse 10. Chapter 14, verse 10. And it says, The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Here's what he just said. Emotions are so complex that it's impossible for someone else to completely know your bitterness, your anxiety, your worry, but it's also completely impossible for someone else to understand your joy. It's completely impossible for someone to totally understand where you're coming from. One of the things that um, I try to always avoid saying whenever someone says they're going through a tough time, if they're... uh, mom got cancer, whatever the case is, I really try to avoid this statement. I completely understand because I don't. I don't understand. 
I want to be there for them. I want to empathize with them. But I can't say those words because I'm not in their shoes. Even if I've been in their shoes at one point, I still can't say I fully know their emotions. And I fully understand their emotions. Anyone ever said that to you before when you've had a a difficult circumstance? And something about it makes you feel like, no, you don't. You don't understand what I'm, you don't understand me fully. Of course, you don't say that because that, that makes them feel bad for empathizing with you, but that's how you feel on the inside, right? When I first became the youth pastor here at TBC, uh, there was a guy in our youth group who was in junior high, and I was a junior high youth pastor, and, and his mom uh, died one night, like just out of the blue. I mean, she, she was kind of sick, but they weren't expecting her to pass away, and his mom just, she died. I got a phone call saying, hey, this, this kid's mom passed away. Can you go to the house? I'm like, oh, my gosh, how do you even, where do you start with this? I show up at the house, and Dad is there, and other people are there from the church just ministering to the family, and what do you say to this family? What do you say? You can't say, I completely understand, because I don't understand. I don't understand. And so none of us can fully know what someone else is thinking, feeling, whether it's bitterness or whether it's joy, it's just, emotions are complex. Emotions are complex. Look at chapter 14, verse 13. Just three verses down, it says, Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. Emotions are so complex that somebody can look like everything's okay on the outside. Everything can appear to be great on the outside, on the external But deep down on the inside, they're dying. Deep down on the inside, they're depressed, they're anxious, they're worried. Everything on the outside looks totally fine. In fact, they're actually very often laughing, having a good time. But everything on the inside is the complete complete opposite. Is this you? Are you you someone that um, you, you feel like you've got to use humor to mask the pain that's taking place inside of you? Do you have to keep that facade up because you're afraid that people might see what's really happening on the inside? Is this, is this you? Do you struggle with this? Very often it's the person who is the life of the party personality that is often covering up something like this verse is describing. Do you guys know how prevalent, listen to this, do you guys know how prevalent depression is among stand-up comedians? Do you know how prevalent this kind of dynamic is happening among people who do stand-up comedy professionally? I just went and Googled some names this past week, and you're not going to know these. These guys died a long time ago, so you may not know these names. But I wanted to show you some just pictures of faces of people, five people in my lifetime who have died that were stand-up comedians, whether it be from drugs and alcohol or suicide. And everybody wants to ask, like, well, they were so funny. How, how are they so depressed? This verse tells us how. Because very often, they were so funny. What's driving their humor is their bitterness, their worry, their anxiety, their fear that no one's going to accept them. But everybody likes the funny guy, right? Everyone likes that guy. That's going to be my bridge. That's going to be the way I handle my insecurities. So here's some faces for you to look at. The first one is, do you know who this is? Chris Farley, probably the only one you're going you're to know who it is, but this is Chris Farley. Next person is a guy, uh, 
name. Is it John or Jim Belushi? I forget. Belushi is his last name. But John Belushi and uh, another guy. Next guy is Mitch Hedberg. I mentioned him last week. Um, I saw him live twice, and then he died like a year later from drug and alcohol. Next guy is Phil Hartman from the old Saturday Night Live. And the next guy is uh, Sam Kinison, an older guy that uh, passed away not too long ago. So you've got five people that, that their life shows the truth of this verse. Because emotions are complex. I mean, are you someone that... So even in laughter, the heart may ache. In fact, people often use laughter to mask the real ache taking place in their heart. So um, the next point I want to have you write down is this. Emotions need to be redeemed. So emotions are important. Emotions are complex. And emotions have to be redeemed. I want to show you how this happens in our life as we follow Christ. This means that you're, doesn't mean you don't have emotion. It means they have to be redeemed. They have to be properly ordered, right? And so for some, let's take the, the emotion of anger because everyone can relate to that. This doesn't mean you never get angry, but it means you get angry about the things you should be angry about. It doesn't mean you never get upset about anything. It means that you get angry about things you should get angry about. Two Saturdays ago, uh, my son Landon is uh, almost five. He'll be five this coming July. And he started playing soccer, and, uh, which is really funny to watch. Don't tell him I said that, but that's, that's my personal opinion. And... Um, and it's just funny to watch him engage other kids in those areas. But his, they have his first game at Saturday morning. And um, I've got to now set my alarm on Saturday morning, which is not a good situation. Okay? And so we get up pretty early. I wake him up, say, we're going to go to your game today and, and all that. So I'm getting him ready. So I'm kind of on a time crunch. Well, as you parents in the room know, whenever you're on a time crunch, that's when things go bad. Right? That's when things happen that don't normally happen to make you be tested by the Holy Spirit. And so what happened was, I'm feeding my son some, uh, some oatmeal. He's got a bowl uh, there, and he's like sitting um, at, at the TV tray um, in the living room, which is a big mistake by itself. But he's sitting there with this big bowl of oatmeal, and I'm getting ready, and I'm fixing breakfast. The next thing I know, I look over at him, and he's going, uh-oh, Daddy. And the bowl has somehow ended up upside down on the floor, but his foot has caught it, great soccer skills, and it's like, his foot's like wearing it like a hat, right? But the oatmeal is like all over the floor, carpet, nice carpet. And so I'm sitting there going, I'm like, I just light into him, right? And I'm just like, how could you be so clumsy? What is wrong with you, right? And I'm lighting into my son over his clumsiness. He's about to start crying, and so I clean up. If you try to clean oatmeal off a carpet, it is not easy, okay? And so after I've cleaned everything up and all that, it's like at some point in the day, I've got to gather myself. I've got to go and apologize to him now for my anger, all right? As a father, I should not get angry because he's four. He's going to make some mistakes. He's going to make some, have some mishaps. But it's right to get angry about things you should get angry about. So your emotions have to be properly ordered, and allow God to redeem you in that. Uh, I think many of us, um, put the next quote up on the screen here, uh, Ace, I want them to see this quote. Uh, here's the next quote I want you to read and, and write this down. Our emotion reveals truth about ourselves and our beliefs. Our emotion reveals truth about ourselves and our beliefs. 
Emotion reveals a lot about who you are, a lot about what you believe. And so you don't ignore your emotions completely. That means you give them credence because whether they're right or wrong emotions, they still reveal something about what you believe, what you hold to be true. They're revealing something about you. So my son's situation, it's revealing something about me that I fly off the handle the way that I did towards him. It reveals something about what I believe, what I hold valuable. Now, I want you to think about this. Uh, Think about the emotion of jealousy. There is a right and a wrong way to be jealous. I'm always amazed whenever I hear people in a relationship and uh, a girl will say something like, yeah, he was my boyfriend, but I broke up because he was just so jealous. I'm like, well, what, what happened? It's like, well, I kissed another guy and he got mad about it. I'm like, well, he should be jealous about that. Right? And so there's a right and a wrong way to be jealous. The right way would be like the kind of jealousy God has towards us. So I'm married. There are certain ways that it's okay for me to be jealous towards my wife. Not psychotic jealousy. Like, I saw you say hi to that guy. What is up with that? Right? Like, that's sort of psychotic jealousy. So there's a right and a wrong way to be jealous. And all emotions kind of have these two sides. There's there's a right way and a wrong way to express those those emotions. Now, I want to sort of let you see two points here towards the end. Uh, I think there's a lot of us in the room that think that um, emotions can't be changed. Either you have them or you don't. You can't change your emotions. I want to say to you right now that you're wrong. You can change your emotions, and here's how. Here's the first point. Here's how emotions can be changed. Emotions can be changed by changing your environment. What I mean by that is, take, for example, a girl who's dating a guy that is not a believer. Maybe maybe she's a Christian, maybe he's not a Christian, and they're unequally yoked, and she should not be in a relationship with him. That that relationship would be called sinful because they're they're not both Christians. So if that's the example, she might say, well, um, I'm not going to break up until my emotions change. And I would say to her, no, you're right. You, you, may, you, may, you may not feel like doing that, but you need to, in faith, break up with him and change your environment, change your surroundings, and then, you, then your emotions will follow. Okay? And here's how. Because when you continue to spend time with this person and continue to write letters to them, get letters from them, continue to engage physically with them, that is going to feed your emotions, right? There's no way around that. But if you're someone who, in in faith, take a step of faith and decide, I'm going to end this thing, and I'm going to take steps towards that, that will change your emotions. That will change your emotions. So changing your environment is one way uh, to do that. The second way is this. Emotions can be changed by changing the beliefs that cause them. So if every emotion has a belief behind it, which they do, you may have to come to an understanding that, you know, my belief is wrong. My belief is not rooted in the truth of God's word. My belief is not rooted in reality. And as a result of that understanding, as a result of that newfound belief, your emotions begin to change. So emotions have to be redeemed. So I want to show you just one last thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Don't turn for the sake of time, but I want to have it on the screen here. But this is Paul writing the Corinthians. And this is a way I think that God wants you to see emotion in its true light, the way that it should be viewed. 
And in this passage, Paul is writing to the uh, Corinthians. And uh, let's look at verse 8 of chapter 7. It says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. What he's talking about is he had sent several letters to the Corinthians. And if you read 1 Corinthians, it's a pretty hard-hitting letter. It's like a spiritual backhand to the face. And so Paul writes his hard-hitting letter to the Corinthians, and this is the follow-up to that. And he says, I know I made you grieve with my former letter. I know I made you hurt. I know my words hurt you bad. But he says, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. So there was a time where he felt like, oh, man, I shouldn't have sent that. I shouldn't have hit send on that email, right? Because now I feel bad about what I said. But here's what happened, though. Watch this. Look at, uh, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. Verse 9, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. So Paul is, is now joyful because they have, God's used their grief, God's used their sorrow and brought them to repentance. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. I think if I were to survey the room, most of us would say that, that grief is always bad or, or sorrow is always bad, but not if it leads to repentance. Not if God uses that emotion and pulls you towards him and, and, and helps you feel the weight of your sin as a result of your grief and sorrow like the Corinthians. So grief and sorrow can be, can be good if it leads you to repentance, if it leads you to surrender your life to Christ. You know, one of the things that um, I might get blamed for, if I'm talking to a student who's walking in sin, if I say some harsh things to that kid, I'm often going to hear from that kid something like, you're judging me, or you're, you're being mean to me. And it might sound like that, just like the Corinthians thought that was what was happening to them. But the goal of our words has to be, I'm trying to help you to see help you to feel the weight of your sin, the grief and the sorrow of your sin, so that you'll come to repentance, so that you'll come into a submitted life before Christ. And so for some of you guys in the room right now, I think that, that right now you're emotionally dead. You're emotionally dead. You've been taught to stuff your emotions. You've been taught to uh, just sort of put it in a box somewhere. You've been taught to just not have your emotions properly ordered. You have not allowed Christ to redeem that part of your life. And right now, your emotions are completely just deadened because, because you are. Because spiritually right now, you're, you're dead. And I want to remind you this morning that, that Jesus Christ, he comes into your life, he sets you free, he makes you alive, and he redeems all of you, not just your actions, but your emotions. He redeems you. And when he does that, you start to take on the kind of emotions that he took on. And that's, that's someone who gets angry about what they should get angry about. That's someone that cries about what they should cry about. That's someone who expresses their emotions to people in, in a God, Christ-centered way.
So I want to pray for you briefly, and you guys can finish your discussion. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we just pray that you would help us to really get, to really understand what, what you want us to know from your word today, God. We pray that you would help us to understand that, um, that you're a God who created us with emotion. You're a God who wants to redeem us in our emotions, God. We thank you for um, that reality. I pray that you would set anyone free in the room today, God, that does not yet know you, is not in a relationship with you. I pray they would come to you in faith today and they'd believe, they'd repent, turn from sin, and turn towards the truth of you dying for us on the cross and being resurrected again. We thank you so much for that truth in your name. Amen. Go ahead and discuss for a few minutes at your tables.